Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday the 10th of May. I'm Tom Tilley and on today's briefing, how modern life is killing our sperm count. We're really getting to the point where more and more couples are going to have to use assisted reproduction to conceive a pregnancy. That is today's briefing. More on our sperm counts a little later. First, Annika's here with the big stories of the day. The government has announced billions of dollars in funding for women's health and infrastructure and has given an indication on when it will reopen the borders ahead of tomorrow's budget. We have an assumption based on the borders opening. It's in 2022, but again, we've got to follow the health advice. That's Josh Frydenberg, and it is his week of weeks, isn't it, Annika? The Treasurer stepping up, giving the budget tomorrow night. He's out. Uh, he's been out in front of the cameras, jogging, looking very strong and positive as he heads into this big announcement. Yeah, it's definitely his week to shine, I guess, the one time he can step out from behind the Prime Minister. Look, the government is mixing its messages, though, a little bit on borders. We mm. are told there's assumptions in tomorrow's papers, and, and as Josh Frydenberg said there, it's based on reopening in 2022. But the PM did an interview on the weekend in the Sunday papers and said the border closures would be lasting, well, at least implied indefinitely because we chased some sort of elimination strategy. He did then clarify that. Obviously, it didn't come across exactly as he wanted in that interview. And he said there were plans to safely reopen to some parts of the world. But he really did say he didn't think Australians had an appetite to get on planes and leave and open our borders. Yeah, it was an interesting one to watch. I saw the Sunday papers, it was the News Corp papers, and the sort of headline was Fortress Australia. Uh, and then in this morning's papers, you had the nine newspapers saying, oh, the, the Prime Minister and his office sought to clarify comments. So clearly that it sits a little bit uncomfortably, their strategy here on the borders. I still think it remains quite popular. I think a lot mm. of people really just see images on the news every night of other countries, don't want to be like that as, as much as many of us want to get overseas and have friends and family overseas. I think from a political perspective, he's quite smart in taking this hardline approach. Having said that, when you do here indefinitely and years and years away, and especially if we start to see Europeans travelling to nice-looking beaches all summer, I think it will get a little bit of uh, a little bit more pressure on the Prime Minister to do something ahead of that. Yeah, a bit of a tricky one to manage. Um, tomorrow's budget will also include $10 billion in spending on road and rail upgrades and loads of other infrastructure projects as well. Another $17 billion will be put aside for aged care, and the Treasurer also used Mother's Day yesterday to promise more than $350 million to boost women's health programs. What you'll have in the budget is a designated women's statement. You have to go back more than a decade to find an equivalent document of that significance with significantly new spending as well. Yeah, interesting to hear Josh Frydenberg put the focus on women there because in previous budgets, that's been one of Labor's main lines of attack, that the budget wasn't looking after women enough. They've had a bit of warning over this one given some of the controversies in Canberra, so uh, they wouldn't, I think, be so tone deaf to get this one wrong. Look, the budget deficit is also suspected to be not as bad as we originally thought last year. And that's based on the fact, I guess we got through COVID a little better than we thought. JobKeeper wasn't necessary for as long. And the iron ore price is also looking pretty strong. Australia's Olympians will start getting COVID vaccines from today ahead of the Games in Tokyo in late July. The athletes have shown they're ready to be vaccinated. They're going into a difficult situation in Tokyo, so it's great they've got this opportunity now to, to get the vaccine. Strath Gordon from the Australian Olympic Committee speaking there, and the committee says team members will receive their jabs in special clinics. 
Over the weekend, the Japanese government extended the state of emergency in Tokyo and other major cities as it battles its fourth wave of infections. Wow, it's kind of coming down to the wire there, isn't it? It is. You can imagine the urgency with which people need to take up these restrictions in Tokyo, given how close the games now are. Meanwhile, in Sydney, mandatory mask wearing on public transport and in some areas has been extended despite no new community cases over the weekend. Yeah, the rules were meant to only last three days, but the New South Wales government have said they're extending them because they still can't find the missing link between the person who came back into hotel quarantine and the two community cases that have got the whole of Sydney on edge. In other New South Wales news, they'll be opening their first mass vaccination centre today. The death toll from an explosion outside a school in Afghanistan has risen to more than 60, most of whom were young schoolgirls. At least 68 people were killed in three separate explosions outside the school in the capital, Kabul, on Saturday night. Heather Barr from Human Rights Watch told the BBC the attack would further discourage parents from sending their girls to school. There are so many parents who want desperately to send their daughters to school, but they're weighing up against that desire, the fear that their daughter might not come home. Afghan authorities have blamed the Taliban for the attack, but the group have denied responsibility. Reuters uh, have reported a 70% increase in attacks um, since the Taliban came to that agreement with the US government two months ago. So 70% up on the same period last year. Uh, Certainly seems like a very unstable situation ahead of the withdrawal of international forces in September. And in news I couldn't get enough of all weekend, NASA has hit out at China for allowing one of its rockets to crash into the Indian Ocean yesterday. So this Chinese rocket had been in orbit for almost a week before it started losing control and it broke up upon re-entry into the atmosphere with debris landing close to the Maldives. The confirmation yesterday afternoon ended days of speculation about where this debris, which was pretty big, would end up landing. So we had no idea where this was going to land? (laughs) No, and some of the pieces were originally... 10 stories big. So, look, the way the world works, it was, uh, I guess, statistically more likely it was going to hit the ocean because we have a lot of ocean and not a lot of built-up areas. But that's not guaranteed. So there was a chance it would have come crashing down. And one of the last places it passed over in Australia was directly over Canberra, actually. Right. So it's landed near the Maldives. Obviously, yes, lots of ocean there, but it could have easily just dropped it, you know, Colombo, Sri Lanka, right next door and could have killed a lot of people. Yes, that's why NASA's chief, Bill Nelson, has slammed the Chinese authorities for not being transparent in their space flights and for not taking responsibility for this rocket's debris. All right, we'll catch you tomorrow, Annika, for a very exciting budget day. Uh, In a moment, we're talking sperm. Hello, it's Jan Fran here. Imagine a world where humans are infertile, where technology is the only way to conceive, where sperm counts get to zero. This is a grim world you're talking about, Jan. It is. It sounds like the plot of a terrible (laughs) sci-fi film that no doubt you've probably watched, Tom. But no, it's not. According to American professor Shanna Swan, it's real life and it could actually happen sooner than we think. Dr. Shana Swan is a professor of environmental medicine and public health at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York, and she spent decades researching reproductive health, and her book is very alarming. Yeah, so it's called Countdown, How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, 
altering male and female reproductive development and imperiling the future of the human race. So she points out that in Western countries, average sperm concentration has halved over the course of 40 years. And obviously, if that trend continues, not good. No, no, we're in quite a bit of trouble as a species if that trend does continue. So I guess we're asking, what does it mean, one, for you and also for the future of the human race? Big questions. Dr. Shana Swan is here to answer them. Dr. Swan, thank you so much for joining us. Just how bad is this sperm situation? Well, you know, sperm concentration and count are really quite low now in Western countries, which of course includes Australia, New Zealand. Um, Last we looked, which was in 2011, there were only 47 million sperm per milliliter. That sounds like a lot, Mm. but in fact, um, when you get to 40 million per milliliter and below, then you're having a harder time conceiving, it takes longer to conceive a baby. That is the probability of conception in any cycle goes down. We're close to 40 now. And that decline was um, all the way from 99 million per milliliter back in 1973. So about 40 years ago. So that's a decline of over 1% per year. If that were to continue you know, now we're in 2021, right? And that data was from 2011. So we're now 10 years past that when that data were collected. And so if the count has gone down another 10% in those 10 years, then we would be now below 40, would be about 37. So I think we're really getting to the point where more and more couples are going to have to use assisted reproduction to conceive a pregnancy. So you're talking about sperm concentration there, that it's uh, basically halved over the last 45 years or so. What's the impact of lower sperm concentration exactly? There is an impact on fertility, which is the number of children that a woman or couple has. And that has also gone down uh, about 1% per year since 1960 worldwide. So we see that correlation. The other thing that it implies is that when the sperm concentration falls below 40, then actually men have more health problems. They have um, higher rates of heart disease and obesity, and they actually die younger. Dr. Swan, how did you arrive at this conclusion? What sort of studies have you been doing over the last, well, decades that you've been involved in reproductive health? What's making you think all of this? My conclusions are data-driven because I'm a scientist. Um, The data on sperm decline uh, that I just quoted to you is based on the largest meta-analysis ever done. Since 1992, the data have supported a decline of this magnitude in sperm count and concentration. And in my own research, what I've shown is that chemicals that the mother is exposed to when she's pregnant with a male alters the development of that male's genitals in a way that later affects his sperm count. And that's the that conclusion is the result of over 20 years of study. So if this trend continues, this declining sperm concentration, is it over for human beings? I don't think it's over in the sense that we have resources that other species don't. We have at our disposal, the ability to do IVF, to do ICSI, to Mm. do ART, and so on. There are many ways to increase our 
reproductive productivity, if you will. Um, and another thing we can do, and more and more couples are doing this, is that they are banking their sperm and freezing their eggs so that they don't get subject to further damage from environmental chemicals that are ongoing in our environment. So why is this happening? I mean, in your book, you argue that everyday chemicals in our environment are disrupting our hormonal balance and they're creating fertility issues. What are these chemicals exactly and where do they come from? So the chemicals that are in our daily products, you know, in our the plastic containers that we use, our tin cans that are lined with bisphenol, our frying pans that are stick resistant, our our jackets that are water resistant and on and on and on. All of these things have the ability to alter our body's hormones. And when you mess with the body's hormones, particularly the steroid hormones like testosterone or estrogen, you are messing with the reproductive system. Okay, Dr. Swan, you're freaking me out a little bit because I have all of those things that you mentioned, i.e. nonstick pans and I eat things out of tins and I'm also 36 years old um, and have no kids but a husband. So how does one avoid all of these things? Because they seem to be very ubiquitous in our lives. They are ubiquitous in our lives. And they're, the problem is with these things, you can't really avoid uh, many of them because things are not labeled. They don't say containing phthalates, containing bisphenols, etc. Most people are not even aware of this at mm. all. And so once you start thinking about it, you know, you might look around your kitchen and say, well, I want to swap out these plastics for glass and ceramic. And I want to try to eat more unprocessed food and try to eat organic food. And I want to worry about the cosmetics and personal care products that I use and so on. So, you know, I think we should just open our eyes and say, what am I bringing into my life that might affect my body's hormones? What else about our lives is affecting our sperm count? Are there other factors about the level of exercise, the kind of work we do, um, how we live our lives? Absolutely. Certainly exercise is important. By the way, there's a sweet spot for exercise. You don't want to overdo it, but you don't want to be a couch potato either. Similarly for alcohol, uh, some alcohol is fine. Excess alcohol is not. Smoking, not as good. Stress, uh, arguably maybe a little is all right. And, 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 and a lot is not great for your sperm health. Um, but Take care of your heart health. So things that are good for your heart health, what your doctor recommends, you know, to keep your heart healthy are likely going to help your sperm and your fertility as well. Okay. Because I think sometimes when it comes to infertility, I find just usually in in the way that we talk about it, it's the woman who bears a lot of the responsibility because maybe she left it too late or, you know, she hasn't looked after her body and the body can't carry a baby. But I mean, your, your book seems to suggest that we should look just as closely, if not perhaps a little bit more, at men. That's exactly right. Women have been blamed for too long. They've carried the burden too long for infertility and failure to produce a live birth, that is successive miscarriages. Both of those we know now are the joint responsibility of the male and the female. Roughly one-third of uh, infertility can be ascribed to a male cause, one-third to a female cause, and one-third to unknown or shared causes. So it really is a 50-50 proposition, and men have to step up to the plate and accept their responsibility for this and and stop blaming women because women have been blamed for a very long time for this. Often when when people focus on female fertility, it is about the age and the so-called ticking clock. What about the age of of men? How does that impact um, their fertility? 
So much less. Uh, the decrease in male fertility goes down much more slowly. It does go down, but much more slowly. Although there are links, by the way, between advancing paternal age and um, defects in the child, such as autism spectrum disorder and other defects. So as both the male and the female being older increases the risk of problems for the child. All right. Well, Dr. Swan, how do we change this very sort of grim trajectory that you're predicting? Now that we know all this, how do we turn it around? Well, I think that as individuals, as I said, we have to become aware of the problem and learn about it remove chemicals that have harmful effects at low doses, and also remove persistent chemicals because many of these do persist, you know, can be stored in our fat, can be stored in our soil and water, and so they, they're forever chemicals that we can't keep storing uh, if we're going to improve the situation. And finally, we just have to regulate. So many, many thousands, actually, of chemicals have not been regulated. All right. Well, Dr. Swan, I think I might um, throw out everything in my pantry and quite possibly my microwave. <laughs> Thanks. Don't, don't, don't microwave in plastic. If I had to say one thing, that would be the overriding advice. Oh, Do really? not microwave in plastic. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, when, one, when, one the, when the plastic is heated, the, the chemicals leave the plastic, enter the food, go right into you, and you don't want that. So microwave just on a plate instead? On a plate or in a glass container, yes, you could do it on anything, a cup, a glass, it doesn't matter, as long as it's not plastic. Wow, I never thought that I would be taking into account the microwave when it comes to talking about fertility, but there you go. Hey, what about my bike seat? Um, oh my like the seat on my bicycle, is it important to kind of get that right? Can that impact male fertility? I don't think so, um, unless it's the shape. So what you want to do is not increase the temperature there um, because a sperm count is... How uh, hot is your bike seat, sensitive. Tom Tilly? <laughs> well, it's actually got a vent through the middle of it, so it has yeah, airflow. that's good. Okay, that's, that's good. good yeah. yeah, sweet. Yeah. It was expensive, mm, that's so good. they must have thought about yeah. it. Any other diagnosis you'd like from Dr. Swan while she's here? <laughs> well, I recently discovered that I am fertile the old-fashioned way, which good. is great because I was quite concerned my lifestyle had been far from perfect. <laughs> Great. Congratulations. All right. But I think you'll find if you talk to people that many people um, have had problems. All right. Well, that's a lot to think about. I'm going to go home and think about it. What, um, my bike seat? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try very hard not to think about Tom's bike seat, actually. But I am going to think about all of the other stuff and um, and your wonderful book. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Swan. Thank you. Okay. That was Dr. Shana Swan um, vindicating the choice of bike seat. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I mean, she did paint a very dystopic picture, but mm. as long as you're riding a bike you're feeling good about. Well, even better is that I managed to conceive a child <laughs> that's recently. That's true. That, that's actually very positive. I actually didn't know that the situation was this bad at all, and nor did I know that the cause was the use of everyday products that are in all of our homes. Yeah, and I think a great point that um, a third of fertility problems are from the male yeah, side. Yeah, that's the other surprising thing. Like, like you said, so much the focus is always on female fertility. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go now and think about this probably for the next few years. <laughs> Tomorrow on The Briefing, an incredible story about a man who went from detention on Manus Island to being an MMA fighter in America. Listener.